I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. Happy Father's Day. I know we've got some fathers here, so I hope you had an especially good breakfast this morning. My father definitely did. I was telling Kuslo when I first arrived here this morning that my father is a very simple man. And most of the time, he actually eats a pretty good diet, but on Father's Day, he gets to have exactly what he wants for food. So for breakfast, that meant McDonald's breakfast and donuts. Ooh, good combination. And later on, he gets the perfect dinner, exactly what he wants on his day, Father's Day. He gets hot dogs and potato salad. Simple man. Simple wants. Probably a good way to live. Once a year. I don't know how good hot dogs are for you. But if it's Father's Day for you, then I hope you have exactly what you want for dinner. Now, since it is Father's Day, I'm going to talk about the very first lesson that the Buddha gave to his son Rahula after he became a monk. So it's called the Ambala... Oh, man, did I just forget? Ambalatika Rahulavada Sutta from the Majjhima Nikaya. And uh, I like this one because this lesson is given to Rahula when he's about seven years old. It's within his first year of becoming a monk. And so here's little Rahula and here's Buddha. They're alone. And here's this beautiful lesson he gives. But before I get to that lesson, I thought I would talk a little bit first about the relationship that the Buddha had with his son. Because, you know, in the West, we're not often taught about the relationship that Buddha had with Rahula, how they, how they interacted, the lessons that the Buddha gave him. And we often don't, sometimes don't even know that the Buddha even had a son. And if we even know that he has a son, we often hear the story about how he left on the day his son was born. So let's start with that. Now, before the Buddha was the Buddha, he was Siddhartha Gautama, right? And he was a prince, as the story goes. And at a certain point in his life, he came across the people in his town and saw sickness, old age, and death, and the fourth messenger of the mendicant, someone who went on a spiritual journey to find answers to sickness, old age, and death. And when he saw those four messengers, it really struck something deep in him. It began to grow in him as a desire to go forth and become a mendicant, to become an ascetic, to become a monk. But he had a lot of responsibilities. He had a responsibility to his family, his father, Sadodana in particular, but he also had a responsibility to the people in that kingdom, and he had the responsibilities of being in the warrior caste, and he felt all of this pressure, but also this same desire to find the answers to reality, to find answers to the suffering that he could see in others. And the way the story sometimes appears to us in the West is that he very callously left on the day that his son was born. Now, when we read the suttas, we see something maybe a little different, or at least I do. I see someone who left because he knew that if he waited a day longer, he might not have left at all. We know that in the story, the day that he left, he, or rather the day he was preparing to leave, someone had approached him and said that his wife, Yasodhara, had given birth to a son. 
and the Buddha says, ah, another fetter in the bo- is, is born in the world, right? And so that's how Rahula gets his name. Rahula means fetter. And we hear that, and wow, that sounds really callous, that he would name his own son a fetter. But the thing is, a fetter, as it's understood in, in Eastern philosophy and in Buddhism in particular, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Many things in life that would be called a fetter are good things. That's why they're fetters. They can trap us. We can grow attached to them in this life. And so what the Buddha was saying is, here's this other thing that I may become attached to. He was afraid that he would love his son too much to go off and try to find answers that he thought might not only alleviate his own suffering, but the suffering of others. Now, for many of us in the West, that's still a difficult pill to swallow. Maybe we don't quite understand the Buddha's reasoning or rationale. But as the story goes, he went up to his wife's bedroom that evening, and he peered in and had a look at his wife and his son. But he dared not touch his son because he was afraid that if he did, he would stay. And then so he left. And so the Buddha, as we know from the story, spends six years as a mendicant. And in that time, he spends some of that in deep austerity, starving, not sleeping, meditating long hours, withering away. But we know that he eventually turns this around, rediscovers the middle way, and becomes enlightened. He he reaches Nibbana and he becomes the Buddha. And we think that, okay, now he's going to go back home. But he doesn't. He goes and gives his first sermon to five monks. They are immediately becoming, they immediately become arahants because they were students of his, disciples of his, even before he went to the Bodhi tree. And so they were themselves already on the brink of discovery. And so his speech that he gives them sends them right across and they are arahants. And he spends a full year establishing the Sangha. And during that time, his father is sending merchants to, uh, not merchants, uh, messengers, to come and say, come on, Buddha, come, come and visit your family. Come and visit your family. He says, okay, soon, soon, soon. And after the course of a year, he eventually does come back. And so he comes and visits his father. He visits his, his ex-wife. He visits his aunt who had raised him, his stepmother. And he gets to visit his son. Now, at this time, Yasodhara thinks, okay, The Buddha has left behind his princely life. He's left behind his crown, his jewels, his status in society, but those are all things that his son should have. So I'm going to send Rahula up to the Buddha, and I'm going to tell him to ask for his inheritance. And so Rahula goes. And so at this time, the Buddha is is enjoying a meal, and he's sitting with his attending monks, including... uh, at the time, Sariputta, right? And so he's, he's eating, and, and he's, he's sitting there, and he, this child comes up, and uh, he sees that it's his son, and he smiles. And Rahula looks at him, and Rahula smiles. And then Rahula says, Father, I would very much like my inheritance. And the Buddha smiles again and keeps eating. And Rahula says, yeah, I would very much like it. All, all the things that I, that I should have as your son, I'd like those. And the Buddha smiles, and he eats. And then soon the bowl is empty, and he sets it aside, he smiles at Rahula, and he gets up and walks away. (laughs) 
and then Rahula begins following after. And so all the monks get up, Rahula's following along too, and the, the Buddha turns, and he sees this little boy following along, and he smiles at the boy. The boy, the boy smiles at him and, and says, being in your shadow is very pleasing, mendicant. And the Buddha smiles again and keeps walking. So Rahula follows out of the palace, and some of the, the maids are looking around like, where's Rahula going? And Rahula's waving, and they keep walking. They go out the gate. People are a little worried. Where is he going? The Buddha goes off to the forest where he's been staying with his monks outside the, outside the boundaries of the city. He goes off into the forest, and there's Rahula. And the Buddha sits down, and Rahula sits down, still smiling at his father. And then the Buddha begins to think, well, all those things that I gave up when I became a mendicant, all of those things are temporary. The gold, the jewels, the crown, the responsibilities of being a prince. I would say that his real inheritance is the bliss that I found under the Bodhi tree, the bliss of Nibbana. I know what I'll do. And the Buddha turns to Sariputta and says, maybe we should make him a monk. And he says, and looks to Rahula, what do you think? And Rahula, being seven, says, great, what's a monk? And so some time passes, and Sudodhana, the Buddha's father, and Yasodhara are sitting in, in the palace, and they're beginning to wonder, where, where did Rahula go? And you know, so Yasodhara tells Sudodhana, the Buddha's father, well, I did send him to go get his inheritance from his father. And so then that becomes a little concerned. He says, I'm going to go visit the Buddha and see what's going on. And so the Buddha, so the, the Buddha is sitting there with his son. So Dodana comes into the forest to visit his son. And then he looks and there's this very young boy with a very clean, freshly shaven head and ochre robe sitting next to him. And he takes a closer look. Wait, that's Rahula. Yes, he wanted his inheritance. And so Dodana becomes very distraught because after the Buddha left, Sudodana became very attached to Rahula. Rahula, so the story goes, was very close in appearance to the Buddha. So that was like his little Siddhartha part two that he got to, to raise his grandson alongside his other son. There's, there's Nanda, who's the Buddha's half brother, that is also a good story. So he sees Rahula there now in the robes. And he turns to the Buddha, and the Buddha and his father have a very big heart-to-heart -heart there, where his father, Sudodhana, says, you know, I'm not really so happy about this, Lord Buddha, my son. I would very much like it if in the future you get the family's permission before you make someone a monk. You, you talk to their you know, their mother, you talk to their, their family, you talk to the, everyone involved to make sure that it's okay before you do this. And the Buddha says, you know, fair enough. And so then Rahula becomes a very interesting case because he's the first Samaneta, he's the first novice monk, and he's also the first to have a really formal uh, ordination because all the other times, and even some of the times afterward, when the Buddha would come across someone who wanted to become a mendicant and go on to the holy life, they would simply ask, and then he would say, well, come along, monk, and they'd be a monk. So here is the beginning of this tradition with Rahula. Now, 
we can get to the sutta. So Rahula has been a monk for a few months now, maybe not even a full year yet, a little baby monk. And one day, someone comes into the, one of the forest monasteries to see the Buddha. And Rahula decides he's going to have a little fun. He knows the Buddha is off that way. And a man comes up and says, I'd very much like, to, like an audience with the Buddha. And Rahula says, yeah, I think he went that way. And the guy goes off and doesn't find the Buddha. The Buddha ends up finding out about this. And he says, well, I'm going to have a talk with this boy. But he waits for a couple days. And a few days later, the Buddha is in a bamboo forest, a part of it known as the squirrel's feeding ground. I like this because I like to imagine that the Buddha was sitting there meditating while squirrels are running up the bamboo, maybe resting on his shoulder, you know, maybe sitting in his lap while he's meditating, and then just chittering away. Now, squirrels do make very good meditation companions. When I've been down towards San Diego at Wat Metta, we have California squirrels over there if you ever see them because they live in the avocado orchard. So all of these squirrels are eating avocados all day long. They got the glossiest fur, they're the fattest, happiest little California squirrels you've ever seen. That's probably not the squirrels the Buddha was meditating with, but I'd like to think that they were also pretty happy that day. And so the Buddha meditates until late afternoon. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to go visit Rahula. And so Rahula was in a place called Ambalatika, which means uh, the, the mango stone. So he goes to visit Rahula at the mango stone. And Rahula can now see his father approaching. And he goes, oh, great, dad's visiting. Right? And so he goes and gets a bowl of water and he, he lays out a seat for the, for the Buddha so that the Buddha can sit down, wash his feet, and relax. And the Buddha sees the bowl, sees the seat, and oh, good. And he sits down, washes his feet. And then he looks to Rahula and goes, okay, time for the lesson. And he points to the bowl. And the bowl at this time has a little bit of water left over. And he says, Rahula, do you see the water in that bowl? Um, yes, Father, I do. You see how little of it is there? Oh, yes. Well, that's how little of the monk's nature remains in one who has no shame in telling deliberate lies. Oh, I see that, Father. The Buddha picks up the bowl with a little bit of water. He tosses the water. Rahula. Yes, Father? Do you see how easily that water was tossed out of the bowl, the way it was just tossed out? Yes. Well, that's how the nature of a monk is tossed out in one who has no shame in telling a deliberate lie. Oh. Now Rahula is probably putting it together. He knows. Yes, Father. The Buddha takes the bowl back down, turns it upside down. You see that bowl turned upside down? Yes, Father? That is how the nature of a monk is turned upside down in one who has no shame in telling a deliberate lie. Oh. And then the Buddha turns the bowl back over. Rahula. Yes, Father? You see that bowl? How empty and void it is? Yes. Well, that's how empty and void the nature of a monk is in one 
who has no shame in telling a deliberate lie. Oh, I see. Now Rahula, the Buddha says, say that there is a royal bull elephant, massive, huge tusks, strong, with a good pedigree, battle-hardened. And this elephant fights with its front legs, its back legs, it fights with its ears, its tail, everything, except for its nose, with its trunk. Now the rider might look at that elephant and say, well, it's a good elephant, it does fight, but hmm, still protects its trunk. Hmm, it's not, not committed just yet. But then say there's another elephant, another bull elephant, strong in all those other ways, but this one also fights with its trunk. The rider might think this one is fully committed. This elephant will do anything. Now, this is really important because remember that the Buddha had grown up in a warrior caste. This type of, of allegory, this type of simile might be used to be like, to say, hey, the one that is willing to do anything, that's the good one. But the Buddha is a mendicant, training another mendicant. And he says, well, actually, that's how it is when you are willing to lie. You're willing to do anything. So it's actually the one that has used its trunk, that's the one that we should not be like. And so the Buddha gives this lesson to his son, that anyone who's willing to tell a deliberate lie, who has no shame in telling a deliberate lie, that's the gateway drug into doing anything else. And when I read that sutta, I thought, you know what, that was really smart of the Buddha to tell his son that. Because if you ever meet a killer, probably doesn't have a lot of qualms about lying. If you meet a thief, probably no qualms about lying. If you meet addicts, also known liars, right? And you can go through the list and you can see that for the Buddha, lying becomes a very special thing. This thing that if we're not careful, we might build up bad habits. So he tells the son his, the lesson. And then the Buddha continues into something really, really good too, because he says, okay, we've talked about lying. Now, let's talk about all actions in speech, in thought, and in action, physical action. So he says, Rahula, what's the purpose of a mirror? Well, to check one's reflection. Well, good. And that is how we should approach our thoughts, our words, and actions, after careful reflection. And so the Buddha looks to Rahula and says, think on all your actions all the time. Reflect on them before you act. Look at them and measure. Is this something skillful or unskillful? Is this something that causes harm to myself, harm to others, both? And so the Buddha gives this lesson that he he continues on with Rahula over some time, and it's all these different iterations of the same idea. And so here's the Buddha being what I believe is a good father, teaching ethics to his son. And not only being a good father, but being a good teacher of the Dhamma, because sila is something that in the West we often forget or overlook. Instead, we usually focus on meditation, relaxation, I was reading an article about this 
online recently. The, the author of this book called Make Mindfulness, who was uh, you know, talking about the, the tragedy of Buddhism in the West, where the rest of Buddhism gets left aside and people just meditate in such a way to be better at business, to be better at dating, to be better at whatever, to wake up at five and get their workout in before they have their nine hour work day. And, you know, sort of lamenting that the, the rest of the Dhamma has been forgotten, the rest of the middle way has been tossed aside. Because we see time and time again that even in the way the Buddha teaches his son that ethics is the foundation of every, everything else that we do in Buddhism. And so, for me, good lesson. Now, the Buddha, in, in teaching his son, tried to make sure that he didn't give his son any special treatment. So one of the funnier stories, and maybe even a little tragic, is that, you know, Rahula was trying to find his way in being a monk. Most of the time he would spend time with Sariputta. They would go off and do their alms rounds together. There were various tasks that he had to do, and he was learning what it meant to be a monk. But one night he comes back to the forest monastery, and a more senior monk than him went to his sleeping place by mistake. And Rahula realizes that there maybe are a couple extra monks there that day, and he doesn't have anywhere to sleep inside. And he looks outside, and it's beginning to rain. And he thinks, oh no, I don't want to be in the forest when it rains. At this point, maybe he's eight, nine years old. So then Rahula goes and hides in the la 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 latrine, the outhouse, to find shelter. And the Buddha, again, not wanting to give Rahula any special treatment, simply walks up to the outhouse, and he says, uh, who's in there? And Rahula says, it's me, Father, Rahula. Oh, well, okay, have a good night. And then walks away and lets him sleep the night in the latrine. <laughs> because in the end, even though it's his son, he's a monk and must learn to live as one. And Rahula ends up spending his whole life as the Buddha's disciple, as well as his son. And... The, the whole business of being a monk becomes quite the family affair. It's a good thing that Suddhodana decided to, to ask the Buddha to ask permission because he would eventually need it. Every time the Buddha went back to visit, or any time any family member of his came to visit, invariably they would become a monk or a nun. So at a certain point, Suddhodana was probably sitting in his throne room, realizing half the people were gone, and like, what's going on? Where is everyone? I'm going to go visit my son. And he goes off into the forest to see his son. And standing, or rather sitting, next to his son are all of Sadodana's nephews, his son, and his grandson, all clean-shaven, wearing the robes. Oh, great. Okay, Buddha. I can't get in the way of anyone who wants to be a monk. But then the Buddha kept visiting his own father and teaching his father, especially as his father became ill and became old and, and became bedridden. And Buddha would still go visit him and talk with him. So that by the time Suddhodana dies, he dies as an arahant. He dies as a fully enlightened being taught by his son. So in the West, when we think of the Buddha as someone who just went off and never saw his family again, or really maybe as someone who didn't have a family, it's simply not true. It was very much a family affair. He was, a, he was surrounded by cousins. He was surrounded by nephews. He was surrounded by his own son and his half-brother. 
And Rahula, growing up as the Buddha's disciple, was actually referred to as Rahula the Lucky. That was his name, his nickname that was given to him, the Lucky One. And the explanation for that is that he was lucky in two regards, to be the Buddha's only son and to be the Buddha's disciple who had attained arahantship. And all of that started with that lesson, that foundational lesson on telling the truth. Because Rahula told a little funny lie at seven years old. And when we think about it, man, aren't we all in trouble? Don't we all tell white lies? And in Buddhism, I was having a discussion with a friend about this last night, about the Buddha's relationship to, to truth-telling and how important it is. And my friend couldn't, couldn't wrap his head around it, you know. He was like, well, yeah, but like, what, what about if, if you go to the, the hospital and, and your friend is, is sick on the bed and, you know, they look terrible, but then they turn to you and say, how do I look? Oh, what do you say? You know, according to the Buddha, you couldn't, you couldn't lie. You couldn't say, you know what? You look great. <laughs> You'd probably have to fall back on noble silence at best, or at worst say, well, I mean, you've looked better, but I love you, you know, something like that. And my friend said, I don't know, that's, that's not good enough. And I said, well, you know, where we all own our karma, so maybe in that instance, we just bite the bullet and say, yeah, you look great and then bear that karma, the fruit of that karma, however it may be. So, I like focusing on these kind of stories, these stories where the Buddha is, is a good father because it's important to think of him as that. You know, there are a lot of spiritual figures in the world and we often forget their humanity. With the Buddha, though, it's hard to forget that because he was a man. He was, he was born. He had family, parents. He had a wife. He had a son. He, he had made sure that he fulfilled all of those things before he went off and became a monk. And then even after that, even though it seemed like he could have just gone off and been away forever, living this, this lonely life in the, in the woods, he built up the Sangha. And then more than that, he built up that Sangha out of his own family out of his own blood, out of his own relations, found a way to, to support them in a different way, not in the way that everyone had expected him to support them. Because as a prince, he would have taken his father's place and been the head of the family and provided for their, their worldly needs and their sensual needs, the sensual in the case of the senses, giving them delicious foods and fine silks and jewelry. But for the Buddha, that was always the stuff that didn't really matter all that much. Those are the things that have the three marks of existence. They are impermanent, they are unsatisfactory, and they have nothing to do with what we are or may be, which is always something changing. We are these five heaps, ephemeral, always in flux. So the Buddha gave them the only real thing he had to give, which was the Dhamma. And he provided for all of them, for his father, for his stepmother, for his half-brother, for his son, for his wife, and so many others. His own attendant later in life, Ananda, was also a family member. This was very much, in an odd way, a family business. And so, in the end, the way I view it, the Buddha was actually an extremely good father and a good supporter of his family 
but supporting in the way that he actually could, with the way he could as a Buddha. So, uh, with with that in mind, I'll I'll end this with uh, the very last portion of this sutta, because the Buddha summarizes his lesson to Rahula, I think, very well. And so I hope that we will all listen to it and, and take it as a, a contemplation as we think about our own actions and reflect on them like looking in a mirror. And once I'm done with that, uh, maybe we'll have time for questions, but also, uh, since it is Father's Day, perhaps many of us, or perhaps some of us, perhaps only a couple of us, will choose to talk about our own fathers. So let me read this. All the ascetics and Brahmins of the past, future and present, who purify their physical, verbal, and mental actions, do so after repeatedly checking. So Rahula, you should train yourself like this. I will purify my physical, verbal, and mental actions after repeated reflection. That is what the Buddha said. Satisfied, Venerable Rahula was happy with what the Buddha said. Thank you.